Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Why Climate series of podcasts. This series run, we're going to be talking about the chemical management plan that exists across Canada. It's a federal program to identify and help try to regulate chemicals that are in the environment or exist within sort of the communities that, within Canada. Today's guest is Meg Sears. And as always, I'm going to jump right into the interview and ask her, who are you and what do you do? I am a scientist, originally trained in chemical engineering, but I've done a lot of medical research as well. I live in the outskirts of Ottawa, Canada. I've been interested in environmental issues since my children were very small, and I was hoping to have them grow up healthy and in a healthy world. And I have been doing various types of work, but currently I've been chairing the organization called Prevent Cancer Now. It's a national Canadian organization that works to stop cancer before it starts. So we work on issues that are more upstream from the what most of the cancer organizations do. So we're not we're leaving the treatment and the early detection to other people. And we recognize that probably over 90% of um, cancers are related to environmental exposures over time. Mm. They could be infectious or chemical, but a lot of cancer could be prevented. One of the reasons we know that in Canada is that we see trends in increasing cancers, such as colorectal cancers, and we see decreasing trends, um, mostly related to the cessation and the slowing down of cigarette smoking. So cancer can be prevented, and that's what we're working on. Yes, is that one of the things convincing at provincial or federal levels, that sort of like ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure, even though we all know it is the way to sort of attack any health problem, whether it's cancer all the way through, I have type one diabetes. So like, it's all about preventing stuff before it goes sideways. But it's it's sometimes very challenging to convince those in control of the dollars to do that preventative spending. And that kind of leads into then how did you get involved with the CMP? And I know you've been involved in multiple iterations of this sort of the caucus it is now and the other forms it's taken on, but how did you originally get involved with this sort of chemical management plan process? Uh, well, I've been involved with various issues regarding pesticides, which are not part of the chemicals management plan and other toxic exposures, even before I joined Prevent Cancer Now. But once I um, came onto the board of Prevent Cancer Now, I was working with a wonderful scientist, Sandra Madre, who had been involved with um, people with environmental sensitivities and cancer. So she was on the, um, she'd been working on the chemicals management plan. So we started working with Sandra and colleagues at the um, Canadian Environmental Law Association and, and obviously people with New Brunswick Lung Association. And um, so I have written many submissions to their consultations attended meetings and been um, involved with the amendments to the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is the law under which the chemicals management plan operates um, 
for, oh my goodness, you always hate to think of these things, probably <laughs> since around 2010, 2012, something like that. So uh, you have a few years under your brim. And I should have noted that all the sort of links to cancer now and anything we reference will be in the show notes. So I'll make sure people can access all those websites and information that we talk about in these conversations. So then obviously this is not a, I always like using water analogies, just my personality, but a fast moving river sometimes because of the nature of the way the federal government operates. So how have you been able to, uh, involved in the process for so long and then really more importantly stay involved why is it because you say become such a big part of your professional life sort of acting around the chemicals and environment well i see that chemicals are really really important in terms of um you know just how we live we actually have a tremendous number of advancements and conveniences and some people would even say addictions because of the chemicals that have been invented and are in products that we use every day. Um, but some of these come with downsides as well. And we generally recognize all of the upsides long before we recognize the downsides. Um, and the other aspect of it is that now we are facing um, climate chaos and mm -hmm. the chemicals management plan actually determines what chemicals are going to be in commerce. So can we somehow um, slim down our portfolio and put some kind of brakes on this, what in Canada particularly is an accelerating um, increase in the chemicals in commerce and um, all of these have greenhouse gas implications. So we now see that in order to put the brakes on climate change, we need to be addressing chemicals, but also if we can have better options that are more durable and have lower greenhouse gas implications, you know, we've got the problem and the solution all in, you know, kind of related in one place. So it's doubly important. Yeah, I have a friend who now works for the, the government of the United Kingdom and um, he, his basic job is to try and understand plastics and, and a few other things but mainly anything that's a, a, a plastic in healthcare settings because it is that they produce a lot like in Canada it represents I think it was I read a fifth of our entire plastic waste just comes from the hospital system but at the same time he's like there isn't really a viable solution yet because the cost for green plastics or stuff that are you know less sort of full of the things that are killing the people they're trying to help are just not available and I wrestle with it myself like I said I have type 1 diabetes I think last year I produced almost like 28 pounds of plastic waste just to keep me alive like there, but there's no other option like I have no other option to it I have to like my tubing all of this stuff is single-use plastic and it, there it's that sort of like how do we get in front of this and at the same time you know not be like well you type one diabetics well just you're off to the side you know yeah. what I mean it's such a complex problem because we've gone so far down this road and we have yeah. to now sort of feel it back a bit and yeah 
Yeah, it so is. there's two there's two elements really that are really important here. And I'm on the um, green team at the children's hospital here. Yeah. So we we've looked at that, and yeah, yeah. hair produces a tremendous amount of disposable plastic, and you know people just talk about the masks after the pandemic and so on as well. But um, there there's two things. First of all, there are substitutes. Mm -hmm. So for instance, in those bags that they use for IV fluids. Yep. In Canada, they're made out of a certain kind of plastic that requires an additive. And yep. that additive doesn't stay in the plastic. It actually goes into the solution as well. And so one, um, one meeting of the green team, we were having a, a Earth Day thing. And yep. I said, okay, I want you to bring one of those dextrose, those sugar bags, you know, bags yep. with with sugar in, in water, basically, for that you can use as an IV fluid, bring one of those and bring a whole bunch of those little cups. And so we put sh this sugar water in the cups and ask people to drink it. Yeah. And when you drink that, you can taste this additive that has come out of the plastic. And so we've got all of these doctors and nurses standing around saying, this tastes disgusting. It tastes like rubber tires. It, yep. uh, and so, you know, there are safer solutions. So in Europe, they use a different kind of plastic that does not require this additive. So there are safer options. And um, as, as it happens, the European plastic solution it, it, or plastic bag option, yep. <laughs> not to use solution in too many ways, it's, um, it's actually more recyclable. Yeah. So and I I often feel we get ourselves into trouble and it, it, as I become more of an older adult because half of Canada's identity is just hung on that we're not the United States, which is kind of like comparing yourself to like the worst version of a lot of things. And not that the United States is worse at everything, but they have much looser chemical regulation laws, how they approach, you know, everything. Um, and so we're always like, well, we're better than them, but we don't look to like who the sort of top of the class is to see like how we can do things slightly better. We're always looking just down south and not like across the pond or anything. And I think that gets us into a bit of a trouble because, which leads into the next question, why should Canadians care about the CMP? It is that general thing of like, we compare ourselves to the states and we're like, well, we're not dumping, you know, blah, blah, blah into the water system constantly. And we, we do have some ins and outs where we're, we're bad, but we don't look to like, oh, they're over there, they're doing it better and differently. And it's not bankrupting the healthcare system or the NHS or anything like that. Yeah. And there's also problems with compatibility just of, of yes. supplies. In it, that's it, you know, in the medical world, we've got different machines working on a different number of hertz of electricity, et cetera. And they just are, you know, the the technology, but that's very small. Um Oh, in the grander scheme of things. But um, there, there's a bit of a race to the bottom sometimes rather yeah. than a race to, to the top. We'll say, oh, well, you know, they're not worried about it down there. So we're not going to be worried about it here rather than looking to Europe, which actually has made much more progress in Canada. So when we're looking at um, right now in Parliament, we have the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is the law under which we run the, the chemicals management plan. <clears throat> and um, so this is a huge opportunity once in like 25 years, it, it's 
by the time they finish, you know, getting it through Parliament and the Senate, um, it's so one of the things that we were recommending is that we move towards a, you know, a framework that mm -hmm. is a little bit more aligned with the the decision making process that they're using in Europe. So, for instance, some, you know, talking about plastics and whether or not it's necessary and whether or not um, there are substitutes in Europe, they have, um, first of all, they consider essentiality. Mm. So in the healthcare system, you can, they have in the emergency department, they have these big plastic bottles full of sterile water. And they use that if somebody, you know, some kid has had a skateboarding accident, they come in with their cuts all gummed up with mud and they use sterile water to clean that. Yeah. And then they have, you know, several plastic bottles afterwards. Um, so some, some enterprising doctors said, wouldn't it make a lot more sense just to put it underneath our clean drinking water faucet? And they, they actually did a study and they found that their outcomes were at least as good, maybe even better, if you simply put the cut under running water instead of using all these pl big plastic bags. So is it essential? And that's yeah. a question that's actively asked in Europe, but is not asked here. So, you know, just because it's somebody's whim do we need to be putting all of those resources and all of those greenhouse gases, et cetera, all of the downstream toxicities into creating plastic bottles to clean muddy cuts, for instance? Yes. And, and that obviously can be applied very, very broadly. Do we need whatever it is that we're, we're buying? Do we need fancy packaging, for instance? Um, and then if we do need some kind of solution, what is the best solution? So they have what they call the substitution principle to you know, kind of work to the best instead of kind of going down the drain to the bare minimum as we tend to in, in North America. Yeah. So it's kind of shifting of gears. And I would really love to see those kinds of amendments in the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. Right now, um, there has been an amendment to, um, it's an aspirational amendment to have a right to a healthy environment, but it's not got any weight in, so it's aspirational, it's kind of a first step, um, but right now we could be implementing a different kind of decision-making framework that would actually put wheels on a right to a healthy environment and address climate change and, and so on. So shifting those kinds of um, decisions. I think those are really, really important. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the product of two parents who came from the United Kingdom. So my dad, when he's been in Canada since 78, 79. And he always said the thing that's great about Canada is the amount of outdoors as he would put it space like we just have it's, it's very rare for someone to be like I have an insurmountable distance to travel to get to the woods the water you know what I mean but that is my dad will always say that's also a double-edged sword because you don't see the impacts of climate change we do in you know BC has wildfires the air quality dips across the country but we don't see it it's the same extent of smog and pollution and all these things that like the average person associates with climate change and pollution and those kinds of things to the same extent, you know, even in the United Kingdom or I was lucky enough to travel to Indonesia before COVID and like a totally different 
level of pollution than anything we've ever I've ever personally experienced because we do have so much outdoor green space people just think man we're, we're we're good like and it's not a it's not a indictment against them it's just when you grow up with so much trees and clean water and all these things around it's very hard for your brain to associate the other side of that and it's that I think that's the hard personally think the hard, hardest part around environment chemicals that Canadians have to start thinking about is recontextualizing how they view it it's not just necessarily wood smoke it's the stuff that permeates into the soil and stuff you can't see and can't touch so yeah well in Canada we do have some pretty severe hotspots for pollution you know we do we have yeah the Amjanak community living in Sarnia right next to the Canada's biggest chemical valley um Hamilton St. John New Brunswick like we have the Irving refineries there we do have them but I mean in the vast scale of things like you go to the sort of former Liverpool slash Manchester areas of the United Kingdom where they're still like have strip mines that they've decommissioned 30 years ago and you know what I mean or we have Sydney tar ponds too but it's because there's more people living on top of them it's that magnification becomes stronger for us but we are so spread thin across a very big landmass that it's 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 sometimes at least through my personal experience hard for people to like yeah okay we have that one hot spot but like the rest of the country is green you know like that's literally the offhanded yeah. things we have so well also it because we're big the the problems are not in your face yeah exactly you know, we can see the the um the tailings ponds from the tar sands operations from yep. outer space. Oh yeah. They're massive. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, you know, people may be isolated. It may be a f longer drive to see environmental devastation, but we certainly have it here. And I think that climate chaos is definitely pretty evident to Canadians right here where I am in the outskirts of Ottawa um, a week ago, I was cleaning up, or well, just over a week, just under a week ago, I was starting to clean up massive devastation uh, from an ice storm. Mm -hmm. And that day it was 28 degrees. Now people are gathering at the bottom of the hill, filling sandbags because there's flooding of the Ottawa River. And that's just me in my beautiful out, you know, outdoors, rural area. Um, but certainly climate chaos doesn't have to be in the form of smoke coming out of a, a no we we've got we've managed to pollute the entire atmosphere of the world yep to a to the extent that it is impacting um remote areas it's impacting you know the entire northwest territories we've got things um we've got lakes that are melting and the mercury is coming out of the permafrost the fish are becoming more um, polluted with with mercury so we do have these large very broad um, poorly understood and um, you know since they don't look so bad as long as not your ch child with mercury poisoning um, we we underappreciate we don't really get the scale of it and I think that there's something innate in humans and as part of our ability to be resilient and to survive that we manage to block out some of that yeah. because otherwise we go crazy. And 
it, but now we're when we're dealing with something that is so big and so global, it's actually you know a very ingrained part of our evolution is working against us. Yeah, and that's a big challenge. I kind of was the answer in question I had for question five. So why don't we go to where do you hope Canada ends up? Like in how we deal with chemicals in this country. So if you could, you know, as I always tell everyone, if we had a genie and you could make a wish around how we approach chemicals in this country, what what is your hope that five, 10, 20 years down the road, how we are dealing with these things that are having detrimental impact on individuals and the country as a whole? Um. Oh, that's a huge question. Well, it we is, made yeah. <laughs> Bill S5. It's on our website at preventcancernow.ca. Um, yeah. But we, I, I would like to see us shifting our focus to what we absolutely need mm-hmm. and achieving our needs in the least toxic ways possible. So I want us to get a lot smarter about things. And individuals can't do that. I go to the grocery store, you know, and if I want to buy oranges, they're in these plastic net bags. I do not want my oranges in a plastic net bag. I don't have the choice. Just as an example. So, um, you know, this has to be something that individuals recognize and they look for, they ask for, but it has to be multi-layered right up through the, um, Right, right up through many systems in our in our country, and getting back to the chemicals management plan, we have to have some kind of mechanism to recognize that there are safest options that should become the norm, rather than allowing every single chemical that's innocent until proven guilty. So that's in a nutshell i hope that you can no that's literally a fantastic answer yeah it's how we we just need to be smarter about it because like we've sort of said some things are a challenge to not have plastics or chemicals or you know in our life i insert plastic into myself every three days like you know it's it's a weird thing to say out loud but i have to it keeps me alive um is there a better way maybe but it requires you know, all levels of government to examine that and then sort of weigh it all in. And it, it very much, I always tell people is the best thing you can do is start advocating in a way that you want to, which is, you know, send that email to your local MP, say this is important to you, like get they only care when the people they represent actually make it an issue and you have to sort of advocate. And that is a challenge for a lot of people. And I recognize that some people don't want to be the person stirring the pot. But it's as someone who does it as a passion now, it's quite fun to stir the pot sometimes so <laughs> i always tell people eventually it becomes a fun game so uh, with yeah. that it- well, you know people run for for office because they want to help their communities your mp is there for you you yeah. elect them and that they are meant to work for you so if this is important to you or whatever is important to you get to know your mps email them you know telephone them ask them whether it's something small in within your riding or something really big like how Canada is going to address climate change by uh, you know slimming down and using least toxic products in terms of the chemicals in commerce um, 
there's a whole gradient of really important things that need to be done. We've never needed to be more nimble. And if you're looking for nimble, generally the federal government and something like chemicals management <laughs> plan is not the place you're going to find it. But we need to um, kind of refocus to on, on what we really need. And that is something which could be done pretty nimbly. And I think that, there, well, I know that there are many vested interests that would like to continue, you know, to increase their sales, but um, it's not in the best interest of all Canadians. And so, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're and I always say like, you don't even have to start at the federal level. Like I am very vested in my local municipal elections and I will probably be running to take down the current incumbent because I'm around traffic and uh, bikeable communities. I'm an avid cyclist. And, you know, one of the bigger things in terms of pollution and air pollution and chemicals any municipality town can do is sort of restructuring how cars are used in a core. We, and especially in this province, very driver centric, not great public transportation. Like, so there's ways you can even have that sort of small, big impact, right? And it's that kind of thing. Both my parents were heavily involved when what was just Halifax at the time, but now HRM shifted to their massive uh, uh, recycling program, which was one of the largest in the country at the time. And they really became invested in it. And it's been a massive landmark win because they now have diverted 80 to 90% of the waste out of landfill systems, right? So you can do it where it has that impact on it. And then it grows and grows and grows. And it's not necessarily you need to climb Mount Everest the first time you go hiking, you can start with a tiny hill and build on that. And that's always what I encourage people to do is take something you within the vein of chemicals or air quality or water quality or any of those facets that are very important to your life and figure out maybe there's a way you can start becoming engaged on that sort of small political scale. Or if your ambitions are like, nope, I'm going to take on the federal government, go, go take on the federal government. You know, and there's no right way to advocate for something that's important to you. But the only thing is you just have to advocate. So yeah, well, all of these problems are complex in that there's a lot of entry points. Yep. So whether your entry point is to tell the your local school that you don't want a vending machine full of plastic bottles, or whether your entry point is to, you know, at the federal level, say, we've got to be reducing plastic use. Uh, every single one of those is important. And it's that, it's that continuum that the group lifting the effect you know, all of these efforts, you know, it's the mom saying, yeah, I'm glad those plastic bag bottles are gone. It was interesting because in terms of public health, uh, at one point we had um, vending machines full of pop and sugary drinks in schools. Then we made this great advance. We just changed the pop to water. And now people are saying, but you can get water out of the tap. Why are we having plastic bottles? And we're saying, well, you better not get rid of the vending machines with it. It better not change back to pop because of this argument. Just get rid of the vending machines, right? Because there were, as soon as people were saying, well, why, why do we have this with water? Then they, others are saying, oh, well, we should put sugary drinks in there. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm getting dizzy going around in circles, but <laughs> we have to, we have to have a, you know, 
keep the keep your eye on the prize there and realize that there's a lot of um, lifting of various parts that can be done by at all different levels. And it's the people who care. As yeah. Dr. Seuss said, unless you care a whole awful lot, <laughs> nothing's going to get done. It's not. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's it's sometimes a challenge to not feel that sense of you are attempting to climb Mount Everest, right? It can be overwhelming. But I think the trick is, like you say, you you pick your entry point and whether it's like just what's being done at school all the way up to, nope, I want to reformat chemicals across any funding mechanism for a province or taking on something like the CMP at the federal level. It's you, it will cumulatively add up and it's just showing the will and want is there, I think, from the general population because they do have a tendency to listen. It can sometimes feel like they don't, but they will eventually, if enough voters make it an issue for them, they will make it something. So, yeah. And from the point of view of our group, we have we work with legal experts. I'm a scientist. Um, and so we draw together the experts to identify really the very best tracks that we can see. So groups like ours, and there are a whole bunch of them in Canada that are doing excellent work. So their voices can be lifted by individuals who are saying, yes, I agree with you know, the positions that are being put forward by, by these expert groups. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And I, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything I missed or is there anything uh, you would like to mention about the CMP as the sort of final question? I always like to say like, how did the interviewer not do his job question? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah, the chemicals management plan, it um, is a really interesting um, avenue but in Canada, you've got to recognize that most chemicals are not looked at until they're already in commerce. Mm. So there's a fundamental problem in that what we're doing is we're detecting harm, we're detecting injury after the fact. And so everything is reactive. Mm. And it's basically unethical in a, in a way that we only look after the fact. And I think that at this point, when we realize that we must slim down, that one of the first questions rather than the last question is, do we need this? Are there options? What is the really big gain for yet another chemical that we don't really know about um, to be added to the inventory in Canada? Mm. And that's the only way that we're going to get out of a lot of our environmental problems is by looking very seriously and with a pretty hard-nosed fashion um, at many of the choices that we are making and the choices that are being made for us that we don't think are being chosen very well. And I think that altogether, Canadians are pretty smart and it's a big ask because you know, we're all busy and there's an awful lot of convenience, but um, there are easier ways of doing things. And there are examples in other countries that, you know, we could, we could look to. Yeah, no, that's perfectly well said. Um, thank you very much for your insight and time. I really appreciate this. It's always fascinating to talk to someone who's been down this road for such a, 
not a long time, but a significant amount of time. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for taking part in this. Uh, as I mentioned, for all the links to Cancer Now and the people you've mentioned, I will draft into the show notes. So anyone who's interested in learning more, that will be made available to them. And if you have any questions, uh, my email address will be up in the show notes and I will make sure to facilitate getting them to Meg and making, hopefully getting a, uh, a possible question and answer if many pop up, if you're okay with that. I won't give out your per your email address. So <laughs> <laughs> any questions? Absolutely. Just send yeah. them our way. Um, that's something that we love doing because one of you, well, you'll see on our website that we have, we spend some time on our website talking about all the problems, but we have a healthier choices section where we mm. try to stimulate thought and put put out analyses of various topics so if there is for instance we've put out information about the safest with an est sunscreens because there are many many possible chemicals but there are some clearly safest options in many aspects of what we have to decide every day so if people are have a question, what is the safest way to do this, then we would love that. And we've got um, scientists and so on who will look into that gladly and write something up. Amazing. Well, as I said, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Well, thank you. Thank you.